0: Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Happy Easter morning. Christ has risen indeed. Celebrate with us now the resurrection of Jesus Christ and join us for the message, the Passion of Our Discontent. Good morning and welcome to Easter Sunday worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Christ has risen. Say it very good. Let's say that again. Christ is risen.
1: He is risen indeed.
0: We welcome you to celebrate with us this morning. A little little bit later, our message will be the passion of our discontent.
1: And now the scripture is found in the Gospel of Luke, the 23rd chapter, and follows from the 33rd verse. (laughs) And when they had come to the place that is called the skull... They crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing, and the people stood by watching. But the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus, crying with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. When the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God and said, Certainly, this man was innocent. And when all the crowds who had gathered there for this spectacle saw what had taken place, they returned home beating their breasts. But all his acquaintances, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. But on the first day of the week, At early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and when they went in, they did not find a body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, "'Why do you look for the living among the dead?' He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home amazed at what had happened. The word of God for the people of God.
0: God. The little girl was seven years old. She and her family lived in a predominantly Roman Catholic neighborhood in Boston. In fact, the little girl and her family were the only Jewish family for miles, and she was the only Jewish child in her elementary school. Well, up till now, being the only Jews in a Catholic neighborhood had never been a problem. But one afternoon, as Good Friday approached, the little girl was riding on the school bus, And some of the other children started to taunt her for being a Jew and claiming that she was a Christ killer. Their parish priest had told them that the Jews were responsible for killing Jesus. Well, she had no idea what they were talking about, and she was quite sure that she had never participated in killing anyone. When the bus reached its stop, the girl ran off the bus, sobbing into the arms of her mother. In alarm, the mother asked why she was crying. And between sobs, she told her mother that she'd been accused by the local priest of murdering someone named Jesus. A deep anger arose in the girl's mother that there would still be Christian clergy who continued to teach this very outdated and dangerous falsehood. Most Christian churches had long ago dropped this very obnoxious doctrine. Well, determined to do something about this, the mother called the area Catholic bishop and informed him that the local priest was still teaching that all Jews were responsible for the death of Christ. And to the bishop's credit, that priest was removed, and a new priest came to the parish, one who made every effort to root out the belief that Jews were Christ killers. Well, the taunts and the teasing stopped And the girl began to think hard about what had happened to her and why it had happened. And she became very curious about exactly what did her Catholic friends believe and what exactly happened at that big church on the corner. So the girl decided to ask her mother if it was okay if she attended the Catholic after school religious education program with her friends. Her mother thought this might be a good idea, and under the new priest, this Jewish girl was welcomed into the church's program. The girl chose not to worship with the other children, but she found the classes fascinating. It was after this that this girl decided that she knew what she was supposed to do with her life, what her life's mission would be. She would spend the rest of her life facilitating tolerance, understanding, and friendship between Jews and Christians. As an adult, she became one of the very few practicing Jews to earn a Ph.D. in New Testament. Since then, Dr. Amy G. Levine has had a prolific career, both as an academic and as a popular teacher to both Jewish and Christian laypeople. In fact, she is one of the very best teachers to lay people that I have ever seen or heard. And she's written numerous studies for church groups, many of which have been used here at Trinity UMC. The first time I ever heard Dr. Levine teach was when she came to Perkins School of Theology at SMU to teach a short course during Perkins' Laity Week. And she came right before the release of the 2004 Mel Gibson movie, The Passion of the Christ. She had been part of a group of scholars who had seen an early version of the movie. She spent a good part of the class time talking about the movie, both the parts of the movie that she admired and the parts of the movie concerning to her and to others that might be construed as anti-Semitic. I appreciated Dr. Levine that she could see both why people found the movie so deeply moving and at the same time also found why others might find it deeply offending. And I found her analysis just engrossing. Well, yesterday for Holy Saturday, many of us met here at the church, and we watched the movie, The Passion of the Christ, together. And the discussion we shared was fascinating. There was so much that we could have covered, and we ran out of time. In fact, we went over time and still not got close to everything we could have talked about. We never even began to make an examination of how different segments of the population have responded to the movie. Well, those who may not be familiar with the movie, while many consider it a masterpiece, and I include myself among those, it is the most violent interpretation of Christ's arrest, scourging, and crucifixion that's ever been put on film. The film critic Roger Ebert called it the most violent movie he had ever seen, However, it's also probably the most realistic portrayal of the violence that was visited upon Jesus that has ever been filmed. As I drove home, I realized that no one mentioned one of the most common reactions that people can have to this film. Many viewers are left after watching this film with a profound sense of guilt. They feel something to the effect that if I weren't such a dirty, rotten sinner, then Christ wouldn't have had to go through this hell. And it's my fault that Jesus had to suffer so much. Well, this feeling stems from a view of atonement that's called substitutionary atonement. And it's the most popular view of atonement that we find among North American Christians. And the idea behind this is that in my sinfulness, I deserve punishment and death. But instead of suffering the just punishment for my sins, Christ was substituted in my place, and he received the punishment that I deserve. So therefore, the demand for justice was fulfilled, and yet God's mercy and grace was extended to me. I am therefore saved from suffering the full consequences for my sin. I found our discussion, however, centered less on our own guilt and we focused more on the implications of the violence that we had witnessed on the film. While the violence of the film can be very disturbing, many find it overwrought and even off-putting, many of us agreed that sometimes we need to witness and to acknowledge the violence that we as a species are capable of, no matter how uncomfortable that might make us. We need to face the facts that this bent that we have toward hatred and cruelty and violence resides in all of our hearts. And that way, all of us indeed are culpable for the violence that was unleashed on Christ. One of the most well-publicized facts about the movie, the film, The Passion of the Christ, is that Mel Gibson filmed his own hands as a set of hands that drive that first nail into Jesus' outstretched palm. And by doing this, he was acknowledging his own culpability in the death of Jesus. Well, one thought that went through my mind as I watched the film several times prior to our retreat yesterday was that the violence that was portrayed illustrates perfectly why we need a Savior. We cannot stem the tide of this violence, this sinfulness on our own. We need the example of Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to, as we say in our membership vows, to accept the freedom and power that God has given us to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. We need a Savior because we cannot seem to stop crucifying our children or to stop lynching our neighbor. For example, I believe that the love of guns we have as a nation has become a deep spiritual darkness in our collective soul and I think shows a profound lack of faith in the providence of God. This now especially in the light of how now literally hundreds and hundreds of children in our own country have been killed in school shootings. Many of us, while watching the film yesterday, saw the resemblance between the purient, even joyful faces in the crowd that watched Jesus' crucifixion and the smiling faces recorded in the photographs of the lynching of black men and women throughout American history. As Thomas Jefferson said, himself a slave owner, "'I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, "'that his justice cannot sleep forever.'" We need a Savior, simply because washing our hands in a basin of water, like Pontius Pilate tried to do, cannot undo the stain of blood on our hands. This is a stain of blood that we cannot wash away. It cannot make our hands innocent of that blood. I want to offer two additional ways to understand atonement. And I talked about these two two ways actually two years ago when we had a sermon series on the different theories of atonement. And the first of these is a metaphor that kind of sprang to my mind several years ago. We can think of sin as kind of like a row of dominoes. If you tip over the first domino, the entire row falls before we hardly even know what's happened. Likewise, once we sin, it starts this chain reaction of sin-soaked consequences that we are powerless to stop. This chain of sin-soaked consequences can begin when someone hurts me. And when, when that happens like a row of dom- dominoes, I will react in one of three ways. Just as someone has hurt me, I will turn and I will hurt the next person in line. But I also might turn back and hurt the person who hurt me, retaliating with an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Or I might internalize this hurt, wrapping it in my own shame and guilt until I am overcome with despair. In reality, I often do two or even all three of these things in response to being hurt. Jesus was hurt. He was tortured and nailed to a cross. But he did not retaliate against those who hurt him. In fact, from the cross, he prayed for God to forgive them. He also did not hurt the next person in response. And he did not internalize that shame or guilt Christ broke the chain of violence and sin and shame and sorrow, and he stopped the relentless fall of the dominoes from going further. By breaking the chain, he obtained victory. By being raised from the dead, God vindicated Christ, and through Christ now extends new life to us all. This is also what Dr. Amy Jill Levine did. And she responded as a young girl to the cruel taunts directed at her. She didn't retaliate or pass on the hurt. She didn't become ashamed of her own Jewish faith. Instead, she turned the other cheek, as one of the greatest Jewish teachers in the world <laughs> ever said. She turned her hurt into a lifetime of promoting tolerance and understanding. One other way of understanding the atonement comes from an example taken from The Study of Anthropology. The anthropologist Ella Cara Deloria was born on a Dakota Indian reservation in 1889. Her family was a mixture of European and Native American ancestry. Her last name, Deloria, was taken from a French trapper who had married into the tribe. And her father was the first person from the Sioux tribe to ever be ordained an Episcopal priest. And while Ella was a committed Christian for her entire life, she revered the spiritual beliefs and customs of her fellow Native Americans. She was able to pursue her education and eventually earned a degree from Columbia in 1915. There she studied anthropology with her mentor, Franz Boas, who also mentored several other great female anthropologists such as Margaret Mead and Ruth Benedict. Because she was... Fluent in several Indian dialects, Ella spent most of her career interviewing other Native Americans and recording their customs and their languages. In 1944, Ella presented a paper to the American Philosophical Society concerning how the Dakota tribe dealt with the crime of murder. There were three accepted outcomes when one Dakota murdered another. It was generally the family of the victim who decided which outcome would take place. First possible outcome, one of the relatives of the victim would retaliate by killing the murderer. And the family of the murderer usually accepted this since they would acknowledge that their relative had indeed murdered the victim. Second possible outcome, if the family of the victim were pacifist or felt somehow unable to perform this revenge killing, they could request that the the murderer undergo trial by ordeal by one of two methods. The murderer could try to jump over four very high hurdles, and if they missed even one hurdle, they would immediately be shot and killed by arrows. Or they could be made to ride an unbroken horse without falling off. But if the rider fell off, again, he was immediately shot and killed with arrows. It was felt that In either ordeal, the murderer could only succeed if they had divine help. So if they succeeded, then it was God who had exonerated them, and they went unpunished. But the third possible outcome was the rarest of all. It was felt that only those victims' families who possessed the highest integrity, the most generosity, the greatest degree of courage and self-mastery were capable of choosing this outcome. In this case, the family of the victim would choose to adopt the murderer into their family with all of the attendant family benefits and obligations. The Dakota tribe member who was dictating this to Ella Deloria went on to say, shooting an arrow would take only an instant and it would be simple But he would not end the hate, but to win the murderer by kinship and kindness was the surer way. How proud their murdered kinsmen uh, have been looking backward from the land of the dead and seeing what their family was doing. All anger and hate were purged away from all their hearts. Such a man, it is said, made an even truer relative than many who were related through blood, because... He had been bought at so great a cost. The Son of Man came to earth, and we murdered him. But instead of demanding our death or making us go through some arduous ordeal, God chose to adopt us as God's very own sons and daughters, to make us a part of God's family. God chose kinship and kindness over revenge. thereby thereby purging away the anger and the hatred from our hearts, or at least making that possible. We therefore respond with gratitude because we have been bought with so great a cost. We also respond then with the freedom and the victory won for us by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As I mentioned earlier, when a person is confirmed in membership of the United Methodist Church, they're asked to make several vows, and among them is this one. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? It's an ancient question asked of Christians throughout history and throughout the universal church. You have been bought at a very great cost. So what are you going to do about it? As the wizard Gandalf the Grey said in the books and movies of the Lord of the Rings. All we have to do is decide, all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. I say to give it back to God so that God can therefore resurrect something beautiful in us. Amen. Now, this benediction. We have seen the Lord this day. Now go into the world to spread this good news God is good. All the time. And all the time. God is good. May you be blessed by the Lord our God, and may you be a blessing to everyone you meet. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope today's service was a blessing to you. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m next Sunday we'll continue to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ with guest preacher Vicki Dobbs. You can always access our services through our website tumcd.org, our Facebook page and our podcast Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. If you like what you're hearing you can also support our ministry with your gift through our website tumcd.org. God bless you in the week ahead and we'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church. Thank you.